the very first verse, it says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew his hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So his hour has come. He knew that he didn't have many more, in fact, only really a couple of days left on the earth. And so he did what you or I might do, right? He surrounded himself with his people, with his disciples, the ones who had walked with him, who were close to him, the ones who really needed to get everything that he had to share with them before he left. If they didn't get it, nobody would, right? So he had to gather them around, and he had things he wanted to tell them, and he says he loved them to the end. And so, of course, just like you or me, he gathered those close people around them. And, and, and what are the things that we would want to say? What are the key values that we'd want to impart if those were our last couple days with our close ones, our loved ones? What are the things that might have been missed in the hubbub of day-to-day -day life, but that we think, no, i got to make sure they know this, that they see this? And I think we'd want to show our loved ones that we love them that we care about them, and we'd want to show them and tell them the, the most important things in our life, our values, our, uh, the things that are of key importance that we'd want them to carry on after us. And so this is exactly what Jesus does. And so we're going to be looking at this second half of John. John 13, we're going to look at today, and it really gives an example for us kind of a lasting image that Jesus wanted to leave with his disciples. Then chapters 14 to 17, which we'll be getting to over the next few weeks, are Jesus' discourses. They're called his final discourses, where he really speaks to his disciples. And it's, it's just a, a bunch of teaching, and it ends with an incredible prayer. And these are his core teachings, the things he wants them to remember. So we're gonna you're going to love going into those. And then the rest of John, 18 to 21, really is the passion of Christ. It's when he is, is heading to the cross, and when he dies on the cross, when he is resurrected, and he goes to glory. And this is why we call it the book of glory, because it ends with the glory of Jesus. Ends with the resurrection of Jesus. And so all of this, if you recall, when we started the book of John, all of this, John wrote it so that why? So that we would believe. And then in believing, we'd have life. And so this is meant to be life-giving for us, church. So we're going we're gonna to have life as we, as we study what the gospel of John is saying to us about Jesus' life. So are you excited? I'm excited. I can't wait. This is going to be wonderful. So we're going to get into right now chapter 13. You're welcome to turn to it. If you have a Bible, it will be up on the screen. But... This is kind of the kickoff to the private ministry of Jesus. This is, he's gathered his disciples around him. They're having dinner. And he's going to tell them what, and show them what he wants them to remember. This is the lasting image he wants them to have of him. So let's read it together. John 13, 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. 
I love Peter's always a little over the top. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What an astounding account. If there was anything shocking that Jesus could have done, this was it. Okay, this was very, very shocking. Keep in mind that people in first century Jerusalem walked around on dusty roads with sandaled feet. Okay, it's just the way it was. There was no paved roads, uh, and they wore sandals. It was hot. And so everyone's feet were really, really dirty. Okay, it's just the way it was. Your feet are probably relatively clean, um, but their feet were very, very dirty, okay, all the time. And so it was very customary if you came to someone's house that the, that the host would have the servant or sometimes the host's wife, because she was about the same level as the servant in those days, as we know. Uh, so either the, ho either the servant or sometimes the host's wife would come and would actually wash the feet of the people who came in so that they would be clean for the house. And this was a disgusting and dirty job, okay? There's nothing great about it, okay? Who knows what they stepped in out there? Remember, there's also animals and all kinds of things. So they're, they're washing these feet, and, um, you know, an important person would not do this. The man of the house, the host, would not do this. A rabbi would not do this. Anyone of any importance would not do this. But Jesus. <laughs> Don't you love Jesus? I mean, he always just turns everything around. Okay, but you, it's just, so the shock of this must have been overwhelming. Why is our rabbi and teacher doing this job? This is astounding. And so... Why and how did he do this? How could he possibly do it? I want to tell you three, three, three reasons that he did this. The first is he served because he knew his identity. And it's, it's, it's the clue for it is right there in verses 3 to 4. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towel around his waist. So this is so significant. If I said to you, you've got all the power... You're going to heaven. You've got, you got all the power. Is the first thing you'd think of doing, get down on your knees and do a gross and disgusting job? <laughs> Probably not. Like my first thought would be, oh, well, I'm going to do something grand. Then I'm going to make a big speech. I'm going to you know, draw all people to myself. I'm going to do all these grand things. But that's not what Jesus did, right? He did this, this crazy job. He's the creator of the world, remember? The word. The word was with God and was with God in the beginning, okay? So he spoke the world into being. He's the master of all things, son of God, son of man, King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet he got down on his knees and washed the feet of disciples. He washed their dirty feet. This was a servant's job. It's not easy to bring yourself to do gross jobs, is it? I mean, we don't like to lower ourselves to a job that's really someone else's job. If something spills in the grocery store, I'm not really eager to be the one that cleans it up, right? There's a, there's a guy there that does that, right, with the, with the mop, okay? I don't want to be the one that has to pick up the pickles that are all just smashed all over the floor. 
And, you know, it's like that with any kind of job that we don't want to do. We hope someone else is going to do it. We, we expect someone else to do it. I don't want to clean up after a sick person. I don't want to clean up someone else's garbage. I don't want to do any of those kinds of jobs. And I, you know, I feel this way every time the dog throws up. You know, you're, you're just getting your coffee in the morning, and then you almost step, you know, and then there's a, and I'm like, someone else needs to clean that up, not me, which is why usually Paul does it. Um, I do it sometimes, but the reality is he does it most of the time because I can't handle it in the morning. So, you know, these are the jobs that we don't want to do. It's very human to kind of avoid the jobs we don't want to do. Um, and so how was Jesus able to do this? How did his holiness not just rebel against it? How, why did he even think it was a thing to do? And here it is that it says he knew his identity and his destiny. The scripture said he had come from God and was going to God. Jesus was not of this world. He is of a different kingdom. And the kingdom reality is very different from our world's reality. And by the way, you're also of a different kingdom if you know Jesus. You're not of this world. And so if that, the, what that means is that the things of this world, the acclaim of this world, the things that are, that are exalted and wonderful of this world are not the same things that are exalted and wonderful in the kingdom of heaven. So think about it. Maybe here on earth, maybe you're a CEO or you're a millionaire or you're a politician, got elected to office, or maybe you're just a master builder, or you're a, a great businessman or woman, or you, you know, you're a leader in your community or in your organization. You know, maybe that's what you are. And if you are awesome, like, enjoy it, use it for good, but never, ever forget that those titles have no meaning in the kingdom of God. No meaning at all. They mean absolutely nothing. It's a different kingdom with a different sensibility and a different way. This is why Jesus is always saying things like Matthew 19, 30. He says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is such a radical thought. It means the things we think would debase us here on earth actually may exalt us in heaven. The low things we may do here on earth are the things which will be exalted and praised in heaven. It's very, it's very reversed. It's very upside down for us. So Jesus knew this. His origin and his destiny was in the kingdom of heaven. And so he was showing his disciples this heavenly value that to serve is glorious. To serve one another is a beautiful thing. It doesn't matter how messy it is or how gross it is. It's, it's a glorious and beautiful thing to serve one another. And it's glorious in the kingdom of heaven. And he had confidence in who he was, so he didn't need to get a servant to do it or think it was going to make him any less to do it. No, he, nothing could make him any less. And by the way, nothing can make you any less either because you're a child of God. So this is true of you and me. Your position in the kingdom of God is fixed. You're a child of heaven. And, and your worth is in him, not in what you do on this earth or the title you hold or whether you do the great jobs or the gross jobs. It doesn't matter because you are a child of God. You're a king's kid, a heavenly resident. That's who you are. And so we may be the lowest of the low on earth, but we reign with Jesus in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Jesus knew his position. The Father had put all things under his power. He didn't need to prove anything to anyone else. Um, he didn't need to exalt himself because he knew God would do the exalting. And same goes for us. <laughs> that we don't need to exalt ourselves that Jesus will do it. We don't need to prove anything. So that's the first thing that Jesus knew his identity. Do you know your identity this morning? 
Do you know that you are a child of God? Have you received him in your heart by faith? And know that you've been adopted into his kingdom. And so now your kingdom values are, are different than the world's. And that's freeing. It's wonderful. Because we can do anything here. And God will be with us. So let's move on. Jesus also did this service as an act, as an example for us. He makes this very clear. If you will ask the question, why would he do this? He's, it's crystal clear in the scripture, which is always nice. Everything's not always crystal clear in the scripture, but it's nice when it is. And so he says to them, do you understand what I've done? Okay, so they're all amazed. He's down there washing their feet. And he says this in verses 14 and 15. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Again, this was an astounding ask. Okay, this was, this was completely outside of anyone's comfort zone. Now, we don't really get that because, you know, you've probably all been to a foot washing service, right? And so, you, you know, you do this thing. It's a little awkward because we don't really, like, uncover our feet for one another. Like, that doesn't, we don't do that in this culture. But, you know, churches love to do it, so we do, we do foot washing. But it's not really very gross because most of you have showered. And so, you know, it's like, okay, right? So we don't really get what this is about. We don't really get it. But this was a clear power situation. You were the lowest if you wash someone's feet. And it was just wrong. It's a little bit like if you're in a restaurant and the server comes and brings you food. Now, you, the server gets paid. So, you know, thankfully, they're doing their job and they're happy to probably have, hopefully happy to have the job. But, you know, it would be weird if you got up and said, here, let me serve the tables for you. Like, that's not what you're there to do, right? Everyone, right? That's not what it is. Well, this was like saying, you know, you get up and do this thing that you've never done before. And... Jesus is asking for something that goes way beyond their comfort level, way beyond what was expected, way beyond what was appropriate even in their culture today. If he says to this, he says, we're not greater than our master Jesus. No servant is greater than his master. He's the teacher, we're the learners. So he makes it clear that we're meant to do what may sometimes be uncomfortable, maybe outside the realm of the normal maybe outside of what normal people would do or what be, would be expected of us. This is radical and convicting. But this is the image that he wanted them to have in their mind of Jesus says he took off his outer cloak and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he knelt down and he washed their feet. So with a God like that, I ask you, how can we ever say, I won't do that job? <laughs> There's never a job that's beneath us. Also, how dare we say, I can't serve that person. See, most of y'all are really nice people, and so we do serve people, but it's really, we don't really like to serve certain people, because they're harder to serve, right? They're cranky, or they don't really appreciate it, or they ask too much, or so we, we sometimes feel like we, you know, I, I'll serve some people, but not other people. Do you realize that Jesus got down on his feet and he washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. Jesus is the, Judas is the one who betrayed him to death. And Jesus knew that was happening, and yet Jesus still got on the feet, on his feet, down on his knees, and washed his feet. There's no one we can't serve. There's no one we can't serve. And with a God like that, how can we ever say, well, that person doesn't deserve my service? The disciples didn't deserve it either. <laughs> Judas certainly didn't. 
even Peter recognized this, right? Peter's like, no, you shall never wash my feet, right? I mean, he, he knew that he was unworthy of it. Here's what I find funny about that. You don't see Peter then saying, Lord, let me wash your feet instead. That would have been a normal reaction, right? I mean, if he really felt Jesus was Lord and that he was not worthy, but Jesus was worthy, the right response would have been, no, you must not do that. Let me do it for you instead. No, Jesus, Peter's not doing that. He's like, I don't wash feet. Interesting, right? See, they didn't get it yet either, okay? We, you know, we, we don't have to be too hard on ourselves or too hard on them because we, they didn't get it, and I don't think we get it a lot of the time, right? We, we do pick and choose the kinds of service we do, right? I'm, I do as well. I, we do the things that, you know, we like doing. <laughs> like, we don't mind doing this kind of service. I don't want to do this kind of service, or I like doing it for this kind of person, but not this kind of person. Yeah, under certain situations, I always think about, you know, I don't mind doing a crummy job, but it's kind of nice if someone notices I did it. Is anybody like that? <laughs> like you're kind of hoping somebody will walk by while you're doing the gross job. And like, oh, thank you for doing that. Paul, you know, I, I, I sometimes take the garbage out. Paul usually does the garbage. I do other things. But, you know, if I take out the garbage, I, I do feel compelled to be like, did you see I took out the garbage? <laughs> Please tell me I'm not alone in this. <laughs> we need the example of Jesus, don't we? That he just did what he did, confident in his identity, who he was, didn't need praise, didn't need acclaim. He did it for Judas, he did it for Peter, he did it for all the disciples, all with their mess, all with their weaknesses, all with their selfishness, and he still served them. What an example. And so here's the thing. I don't want us to walk away from this message saying, oh, well, then we should have a foot washing service. Like, let's do it. Like, let's plan one, okay? Listen, uh, you know, I know some people have had wonderful experiences with foot washing services. I think they're a little awkward personally, but, you know, it's, a, it's all right. It's all good. But it, that would be easy, honestly, because it would be one hour and be over. <laughs> and chances are, like I said, everybody would clean extra between their toes and get a nice pedicure, and we'd be all good. Like, it wouldn't be that hard to do. What Jesus is asking us to do is much harder than that. He's saying, I want you to live a life of service, of self-sacrificing service, of the kind of service which may feel humbling to us, which may, we may do something and not receive anything in return. He wants us to do things which may feel beneath our station or education or for which we won't receive praise. He wants us even to do things which may seem like a waste of our time or talents. But our love should be that great for one another. Amen? When we're serving and loving like that, that's when we're like Jesus. That's when we're like Jesus. I'm not sure anyone got this better than Mother Teresa, if you know anything about Mother Teresa, who served for many, many years the, the dying in Calcutta. What's interesting about her story is she started out as a nun. She was in a convent, and honestly, any of us would think she already was living a sacrificing life. She was in a convent. She wasn't going to get married. She was going to, she just served in the convent, prayed all day. Like we'd think, well, that was enough of a sacrifice for Jesus. But God spoke to her and called her out of that and said, this is too cushy, too easy. You're, and, and there's people dying in the streets of Calcutta, India. And I want you to go and serve them and care for them. And so she did this job, which was probably the worst job ever because these people were left to die in the streets certainly smelled horrible but also often covered with sores sometimes covered with maggots it was a horrible job 
and she and then the Sisters of Mercy who would join with her later on would clean their wounds and help these people to die with dignity, with love. And, you know, you could say that was kind of worthless. They were going to die anyway. It was only, you know, they were dying. But for her, they were the face of Jesus. And as she was loving them, she was loving Jesus. And I want to share with you this prayer that she would pray every day. It was her daily prayer of this book, Something Beautiful for God, which the, my copy of it is like, you know, like falling apart because I love, I love that heart. I think it, it convicts me because I'm so not, not like this <laughs> naturally. Um, so it just I'm always very, very compelled. Let me just read to you this prayer that she would pray every day. Of course, she's talking about the sick that she's caring for, but we can think about it in terms of anyone God is asking us to serve. Dearest Lord, may I see you today and every day in the person of your sick, and whilst nursing them, minister unto you. Though you hide yourself behind the unattractive disguise of the irritable, the exacting, the unreasonable, may I still recognize you and say, Jesus, my patient, how sweet it is to serve you. Lord, give me this seeing faith that my work will never be monotonous. I will ever find joy in humoring the fancies and gratifying the wishes of all poor sufferers. Sweetest Lord, make me appreciative of the dignity of my high vocation and its many responsibilities. Never permit me to disgrace it by giving way to coldness, nakedness, unkindness, or impatience. And, O oh God, while you are Jesus, my patient, deign also to be to me a patient Jesus, bearing with my thoughts, looking only to my intention, which is to love and serve you. Isn't that powerful? I'm so challenged. It's not my natural way. But this is kingdom values, to serve others, to love them. So much greater than the world's values of acclaim and name and position and power. This is what he's showing us. So finally, what we see in this picture, that Jesus is, remember, this is his last supper with his disciples. He's showing us a lasting image. And what he's doing here is also showing them the cross to come. And, you know, they probably didn't get that yet, right? They didn't understand that yet. But we get the benefit of looking, looking at this with the, with the cross in our minds. And what we can see clearly is that this act is a pointer to the sacrifice of the cross that he would take on. The beginning of the book of glory is pointing to the glory that would come. And let me just give you a couple of, of uh, scriptures which show you what, what he was doing, how it was pointing ahead to the cross. Just as Jesus gave up his privilege and did a servant's job, so did Jesus empty himself to come to earth to save us. Philippians 2.7 says he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Just as Jesus humbled himself to wash their feet, so he humbled himself to death on a cross. Again, in Philippians 2.8 it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just as Jesus cleaned their dirty feet, so would his blood on the cross cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, cleanse us of all of our sins, and make us clean before him. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We come to him needing cleaning, dirty like those feet. But 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are clean because of his blood. And finally, Jesus, just as Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So we must realize that we've got to submit to the cleansing of Jesus. 
We want to be part of his family. We want to be his child. And he makes us his own. I love Titus 2.14. It says he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's done for us. So if you knew you only had a couple days to live, what would you do? Would you get on your knees and take off your cloak and wrap yourself in a towel and wash the feet of your friends? That's what Jesus did. Pretty amazing. And so I want us to now see, as I'm bringing this to a close, the primary motive for it all, which he gives us right in that first verse of, first of chapter 13, which I've read to you already, but maybe you missed that the whole reason for all of this that he just did is that he had loved, he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, this was an act of love for them. At the end of the day, the reason for the signs and wonders that he did in the first half of John, the reason for all the teaching that we're going to be exploring, the reason that he went on his march to the cross, the reason that he got down on his knees and washed the disciples' feet was because of love, because he loved you and me and wanted us to be in relationship with, with him, that he's always drawing us to himself to be more like him in our service and our love for others. And so this st study of John is not a mental or intellectual exercise. Now there's intellectual aspects to it and there's history and there's, there's wonderful things we can learn. But at the end of the day, it's supposed to point us to Jesus and to realize his incredible love and to respond to it. It's a response book, really. It, it, it's for us to understand that he served us so radically so that we would just, you know, lay down our sword and be like, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. What else can I do? You have the words of eternal life. And that's really what we see. And you may feel that maybe you don't deserve the love of God, that you've failed, that you're not that loving or don't love to serve people. Or, you know, you may feel like me that, like, it's just not my favorite thing to do, right? And so you may feel like I'm not worthy of it. And here's what's kind of interesting. I didn't kind of pick up on this until I'd really almost written the whole sermon. And then Charles and I were having a discussion, and I realized I was, I was really going to just deal with the first half of, of chapter 13. But if you look at the second half of chapter 13, so Jesus has just gotten done washing all their feet. And then he calls out two people, two disciples, in the rest of chapter 13. I'm not going to read it all for you. You can read it later. But he calls out two of them by name, guys that he had just finished washing their feet. Their feet were probably still moist from the washing. Okay? And first he speaks about Judas. And he says, this one's going to betray me. And Judas gets up and leaves and goes to betray Jesus. And then he calls out Peter. And he says, Peter's going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. So literally less than 24 hours after he just washed their feet, two of the men are going to betray him, walk away from him. And what's interesting about that is that one of them never really comes back, right? Judas goes off and does what he did, and it led to Jesus' arrest. Um, he does feel remorse about it and then kills himself. I often wonder if we're going to see Judas in heaven because, you know, it could be that he repented. I don't know. But, um, you know, he doesn't come back into fellowship, right, at least on this earth. And we have Peter who, you know, for a long time kind of pouts about it until he meets with Jesus later, right, and then, and then um, comes back to Jesus, ends up being a leader in the church. And this kind of leads us to the song we just sang, that God is a God of second chances, that every single person in that room that he washed his, their feet, you know, were going to do things that would dismay him, that would betray him or deny him in some way, and yet he's a God of second chances. He washed their feet. And I wonder, I just love to imagine what was going through Jesus' mind when he was washing Judas's feet. It's a question, actually, for you and your home group, life groups, if you're uh, 
going to do those, uh, getting started with those. What, what was he thinking? What was he thinking as he's washing Peter's feet, knowing he's going to get up and, like a coward, just deny even knew him? I think it was just love. He just loved them, no matter what they did, knowing what they were going to do, he still loved them. He loved them to the end, it says, the scripture. So Jesus is calling to you and me. He's the God of second chances. He loves you knowing everything there is to know about you and all the things you've done and all the things you're about to do. He knows all those things. And here's what I, I just think when I, when I think about this, that when we respond, when we realize that Jesus called to you before you even thought about him, that he loved you even when you were rebelling against him, walking away from him, decided you didn't believe in him, were against him in some way, he still loved you. That he went to the cross for you even when you did not deserve it and I did not deserve it in any way, shape, or form. And yet he still went through all that to bring us to himself. When he gives us not only second chances, but third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and twentieth chances and fiftieth chances. Right? When we think of a God who, knowing everything about you, knowing what you've done and what you've thought and what you're going to do and what you're going to think, he would still take off his tunic and put on the towel and kneel down and he would wash your feet. It's because of his incredible love for you and for me. And so when I think about that, I just go, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, yes. Yes, I want to follow you. Yes, I want to be your, 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 your disciple. And yes, I want to start to learn to love the way you love. Love others the way you love me. Hallelujah. So that is our prayer today. As we're going to go into communion right now, and so I want us just to bow our heads for a moment and just to pray. And I'd love it for us to simply say yes to God. To realize where we are. Whether we are in rebellion or whether we're questioning or whether we just feel like we've failed, kind of messed up. Or whether we're just trying to walk with him and doing okay some days and not, not so okay other days. Wherever we are, would you receive the love of Jesus right now? If you've never given your heart to him, this is a moment where you can say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Maybe for the first time, to really give myself to you. To be the person that you created me to be.